0: If you have elementary age kids or below or in that area, we'd love for them to be a part of our Vine Kids time. As our kids go, if you could squeeze in a little bit. I know we got some guys and girls standing in the back. Also, if you have a middle school age student, um, right back here in our our kind of gathering area there in the back, uh, Greg teaches a class for our middle school age kids, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, anywhere in that window. We'd love for you to be a part of um, that time uh, with them as well. Again, if you came in but after announcements, I want to tell you how glad we are that you're here. If you are here for the first time, welcome. Welcome to the Vine Community Church. We are honored to have you this Easter, whether it's your first time strolling off the street or if you're visiting friends or family or you're here with your kids or your parents or whatever it is. We're really, really glad that you're here on this Sunday. I say this every Easter. I kind of mention it again. Lower your expectations a little bit. Uh, I read there was a church in Houston that's having a glow stick service this morning. Um, yeah, we're not doing that, um, so sorry, I put on some real pants, and uh, that's kind of what would change we made around here, so uh, that's kind of how things go, but we like it that way, because when you come back next week, you'll be like, hey, I remember these people, right? There's no acrobats from the ceiling or the Philharmonic here or whatever, you'll be like, what happened, there's no normal people, so we're still here, so we are really glad that you're here uh, this morning. We've actually been in this really unique place that's kind of perfectly lays out where we are Easter Sunday. And so I didn't change anything from kind of series we're on because it actually plays out perfectly. Those who have been coming for a while know that we have wrapped up a study of the gospel of John that has taken us two years and two months. We have gone through every verse and every word of John's gospel. We have uh, played through it the best that we could. We have gone through all 21 chapters, 879 verses, 15,635 words. We have examined every bit of it. And so when we get to the end of this incredible journey, it's really important that we stop and we pause and we sort of survey the land that we came from, right? You make it to the end and we don't just celebrate that we got there, the investment was amazing, but we look back and we say, what kind of ground have we covered? What do we remember? What were the highlights? And so what he decided to do was take a a little four-week look, looking back at the Gospel of John about lessons that we learned about Jesus, this is actually the third of those lessons this morning, and it falls just kind of the way the Lord would have as it, it falls perfectly on Easter Sunday. But for the past two weeks, we looked at, at overview lessons. And you don't have to have gone through the Gospel of John with us to kind of be a part of these overview lessons. They are just right there for the taking. But the first one we learned and we talked about was that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. And not the kind of Messiah that most of us expect, right? One that would come and meet all of our desires, and expectations. That's what the Israelites wanted. They wanted a Messiah that would come in, overthrow the Romans, reestablish Israel as this powerhouse uh, nation again. And we have a lot of expectations that we talked about for the Messiah as well, things we want God to do for us. And we kind of explored all those, but we, we came face to face with the idea that we, we learned the gospel of John that Jesus truly is the Messiah, the one that has come to not overthrow our sort of worldly things, but to Reign in our hearts is a spiritual king, and we talked about that. Then last week we talked about the second lesson we learned about Jesus, which is that Jesus is in fact God. Right? We talked about that he is the incarnation, which is the embodiment of God in the person of Jesus Christ. That Jesus wasn't just some ra- kind of traveling rabbi that went around the countryside doing different things, right? Telling neat stories and parables and teaching people to do things that were really countercultural but that Jesus was in fact God, and we examined his own claims to be God, where he says, John ten thirty, I and the Father are one. We looked closely at Jesus' interaction in John chapter 14 and explored how that Jesus, being in very nature God, that his words are the words of God, his actions are the actions of God, and that if we've seen Jesus, we've seen God. And we kind of explored the importance of that, obviously, that Jesus isn't just some prophet or traveling teacher. But we have to acknowledge that he claims to be God. We, either have to do, we have to do something with that, right? So we talked about that. This third one that we're on this morning actually falls perfectly in line with Easter. And the third lesson we learned about Jesus from John's Gospel is that Jesus' death brings life, right? So, I mean, that's the perfect Easter moment, right? The death of Jesus Brings life. And so this morning we're going to be examining that truth through the gospel of John. In John's Gospel, chapter 12. Uh, if you've got a Bible and want to follow us, you're welcome to. That's what we're gonna be. I thought about using the, of course, resurrection text in John 20, but the truth is, four weeks ago we were right there. So I figured you've heard it and you know it. And so we're gonna back up a little bit. A couple of days in history to John chapter 12 and explore the idea that Jesus' death, right, His death on the cross, brings life. So let's take a moment as you find that there in your Bible or on your phone or whatever you're using as your device to make sure I'm not making all this stuff up. And let's pray together. Lord, I do thank you that we are gathered here with all kinds of folks this morning. Folks have been coming with us for the past many years. Folks that are here from out of town. Friends and family. Folks that are just looking for a church on On Easter Sunday, Lord, we are so honored and blessed that um, they're here. Uh, We're we're grateful that we can gather from every different walk of life imaginable to walk into this place with all the different baggage and issues and struggles that we've got, and you will meet us right in the middle of it. You don't require us, Lord, to clean up or to look great or to have all the answers. You You just meet us right in the middle of our stuff. Lord, the truth is the entire message of Easter Sunday is about life. It's about the fact that you died so that we might have it. And so, Lord, what we learn about Jesus this morning is that his death truly does bring life. Take a moment in your own heart and just ask the Lord to teach you this morning. Really simple. Lord, teach my heart. Nothing complicated or anything like that. I know we do this every Sunday. We just invite the Lord to teach us. Ask the Lord to teach your heart this morning. And then take a moment and pray for someone beside you, behind you, in front of you, Uh, even if you don't know their name. I know it seems a little odd, but, but every Sunday we try and do this. We want to be a church that prays for other people. Everything that unfolds here on a Sunday morning is not about you. We want to be a church that wants to see God move in the lives of other people and not just be here to be entertained. So take a moment and just pray for someone beside you. Maybe it's your husband or your wife, or maybe it's just somebody that you just met. Just pray that God would move in them this morning. Lord, we uh, are grateful that your word is living and active. We believe that an encounter with your word is an encounter with you. We do not take that lightly. So teach our hearts on this Easter morning as we celebrate the reality that you died so that we might have true, real, abundant life. And we ask this in the risen name of Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer, amen. So we're gonna pick up in John chapter 12, which is a, a couple of days before the resurrection, right? It's, it's in the last week of the life of Jesus. He has come riding in the town on the back of this baby donkey. The whole town's astir. Jerusalem is filled with people for the Passover. All of this expectation, Jesus fully knows what's coming. He fully understands what the next days are going to hold for him in terms of his own death, the betrayal Right, the abandonment of his friends, the trial before Pilate, his ultimate crucifixion. He understands all of that. And he's talking very clearly to the disciples about the things that are going to be unfolding over the next few days. And so we're going to pick up in John chapter 12, and we're going to look at verse 20, and we're going to explore this idea of Jesus' death bringing life. This is what John 12, 20 says. <clears throat> now, there were some Greeks among those who went to worship at the feast. They came to Philip who was from Bethesda in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went ahead and told Andrew, and Andrew went to, and Philip went in turn. They went to Jesus and told him, and Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It is for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So they're in the middle of the week sometime. This is the last week in life of Christ. Jesus knows that Friday is coming. He knows all the things that go along with it. There's a lot of folks that are there, Jews and Greeks alike. And some, some people there, some Greek people that were there, Uh, wanted to see Jesus. They wanted to, I guess, talk to him or spend time with him. Everybody had questions about who Jesus was. They wanted to know what he was about. If, If this was the promised Messiah, they wanted to see him, ask questions. There was just a buzz about everything that surrounded Jesus. And so some Greek folks came to Philip and they said, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. They most likely went to Philip because Philip has the only Greek name of all the disciples. They most likely went to him because they thought maybe he would be able to get them in. And so he says, sir, we would like to see Jesus, which everybody else wanted to see Jesus. I don't know where Jesus was, but he wasn't standing right there. And so Philip goes and gets Andrew. He's like, hey, Andrew, these guys, they want to see Jesus. What do you want to do? And Andrew says, well, maybe we should tell Jesus. So the two of them go over to Jesus, and they're like, hey, Jesus, there's some guys here that would like to see you. They want to spend some time with you. And then Jesus has the most peculiar response, right? Because he doesn't seem to uh, even pay a lick of attention to anything that they say. They say, hey, Jesus, uh, listen, there's a couple of guys here that uh, like this. I don't know if they're like playing bodyguard for Jesus or whatever, but um, they're like, Jesus, a couple of guys that want to see you, right? And you expect Jesus to go, hey, look, not right now, I'm busy, I've got stuff going on. Or like, sure, like bring them over. Or, oh, I hear you, but I'm not really in the mood, whatever, right? Acknowledge their questions. But he doesn't. He actually, when they say, he says, you know, there's some people that want to see you, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, and I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, which is an incredibly peculiar response. And you would expect Philip and Andrew to be like, uh, "All right, not really what we ask, but I'll go tell them that if that's what we're doing here." <laughs> but Jesus knows, right? He doesn't. He's not mixing words. He knows what's unfolding in a few days, and he's talking very plainly and very directly to the disciples. So he seems to ignore their things. And in this little context here, he makes both a claim and he makes a call. Completely ignoring the idea that there are other people that want to see him, he makes a claim and a call. And that claim and call are really important. And we're going to look at how they impact our lives as followers of Christ. The claim he makes is that Jesus' death brings life. Now, he doesn't come out and say that directly, but that's the claim. That death brings life. And more importantly, his death brings life. Life And he goes on to use this sort of parable or metaphor or whatever you want to call it. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man, which was a reference to the Messiah, right? We've talked about that before. It's a Daniel reference. The Son of Man to be glorified, right? And I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of the wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces Many, right? Like the idea, agriculturally, the idea of a weed, a kernel of wheat, has hundreds of seeds in that kernel. And it is no good as a living plant for reproducing more plants, right? Like we don't live in an agrarian society, but it would make sense. And it makes sense to us that if that kernel of wheat falls to the ground and is buried, it will spring life. And from that single kernel, Plant after plant after plant, and those plants produce seeds, and you see where Jesus is going. He's talking and referencing his own death. That unless I die, right, life will not come. Now, the disciples, they don't get this. But Jesus is talking to them about it. He's going to be talking to them about it more and more. But the claim he makes is that my death will bring life. Now, we know that to be the truth of the gospel, that Friday exists so that Sunday can happen. That if Jesus doesn't die on the cross, then Sunday does not unfold. And Sunday is what conquers death. That Jesus died for our sin, but if he remains dead, he's just another mortal that had a bunch of ideas and most likely he was a lunatic. But the fact that God, Almighty God, raises Jesus from the dead, conquering sin and death, that if we put our hope and trust in Jesus, we have life. Jesus' death, died, buried, raised, so that we might have life. Unless that kernel of the wheat dies, there will be no life that comes from it. In other words, Jesus saying to the disciples, unless I die, you will not live. And of course, Jesus isn't talking immediately physically, right? He's talking spiritually. Next week, we're gonna talk about the idea that Jesus is eternal life. So Jesus' death brings life. That's the claim. But there's a call that goes hand in hand with it, right? He also goes on to say, It remains only a single seed. It produces many seeds. Then he goes on to say, the man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So he makes this claim about himself, that unless this kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces life. And he says in the same way, the man who loves his life in this world will lose it. Right? but the man who hates his life in this world will keep it. Matthew and Luke both recorded as the idea that the man who you know, leaks to, lose, uh, moves to save his life in this world will lose it. The idea simply being the juxtaposition of love and hate, our own world and our own self, that if we are in this thing right, for ourselves, we're gonna lose our lives. So the call Jesus makes is that your death brings life. And not death physically. Jesus has already talked about that. That's his death, physical death, to bring life. He's talking now about something much more, that if Jesus' death brings life and we put our hope and trust in Jesus, then we must be willing to die to ourselves in order to produce true, real life. That a true life that follows Christ is a life that dies to itself. I tell this all the time, right? The single greatest truth in all the gospel is that we are called to die to ourselves and surrender to Christ. That's the claim that Jesus makes here. The claim is Jesus' death brings life. The call is your death brings life, which means that you and I are actually called to live lives that die to ourselves, which is the most countercultural thing you can imagine. Because living in our Western culture, we are told all the time to fight for ourselves. You've got to take care of number one. No matter what, you've got to look out for yourself. You do what you can in this world to make sure you get yours. You claw, you fight, you bite, you do whatever it takes to protect yourself, to fight for your interests, and to make it to the top. There is nothing more contrary to the gospel. The gospel call is actually the idea of death to self. Now, it doesn't mean that you're supposed to have self-hatred and all those kind of things, but it does mean that when we look at our relationship with Christ, we say, Lord, not what I want, but what you want. Not my own desires, not my own longings, whether those things are are temporal or financial or relational or whatever they are, not my own, but what you want. And I'm willing to die to all of my own self and my own desires and my own wants because I want to gain true life. And Jesus says that when we truly die to ourselves, we find real abundant life both here on earth and the promise of eternal life to come. Most of us will spend our entire lives fighting that concept. We'll spend the majority of our lives fighting God for control of the things that we think we want, the things that we think are good for us, the things that we think are going to bring us happiness or fulfillment. And all God is saying is surrender to me and I will fill you with the greatest life you could ever imagine. Not easy, not perfect, not all of your wildest dreams and $100 bills falling from the sky, but full, real, abundant life in me, life that matters. And the promise of eternal life that doesn't begin when you die but begins today because most of us believe eternal life begins when we die but the truth is if you read scripture eternal life begins the day that we surrender our life to christ it means the true life that god has created for me begins in this moment i don't have to wait for something else most of us are attached to the idea that things will just get better when we die we will have to keep struggling with all those things And so there's a certain element of truth to that but the real promise of Christ is that we can have the most joy-filled, abundant, real life while we're walking and breathing on this planet. But it takes the death of ourselves. And it is the single greatest fight that every Christian will have. This room is probably filled with people that believe Jesus Right? Died on the cross and rose from the dead. That's why we gather here on Easter. If you're here, you at least made it that far in your mind. Maybe you wrestle with some of those ideas, or maybe you're kind of still struggling with But the idea is that at least I'm gathered in this place. I don't know how to answer it, or what, hey, look, a pen. What it all means. But, right? I'm okay with that until that call begins to change the way I think about what I want. So the claim is Jesus' death brings life. The call of Christ is that your death brings life, not physically, but death to self. So what does that mean, right? Well, Jesus goes on to say these actually bring about a progression of things. So if Jesus dies so that we might have true life, and because we surrender our life to him and have life in Christ, we are called to die to ourselves, right? The progression of following Jesus. Jesus died for you. He offers you the opportunity at true, real life. We surrender our life to Christ. It causes in us a desire to no longer want what I want, but to want what Jesus has for me. All right? Then he goes on to say this. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. So if the progression is right? Jesus died, gave his life so that I might have life. I surrender my life to Jesus, which causes me to want to die to myself and follow him, surrender to him. That dying to self causes me to want to serve Jesus. So when I surrender my life, Treb Prater decides he's going to surrender his life to the Lord. It causes in me the desire to serve Jesus. Jesus is moving in me. I'm dying to myself because I want to serve him. And Jesus says, those that serve me will follow me and where I am, my servant will be. So the question on the table, of course, is, right, do we want to serve Jesus? And most of us in here with a resounding yes will raise their hands and be like, absolutely, man. I'm a, as a Christian, I, I, I want to serve the Lord. And the truth is that's absolutely true as long as we can define what that means. We do want to serve the Lord, but we want to define the idea of serving. I want to give a little bit. Right? I want to show up on Sunday and set up the donuts or put up some chairs or I actually want to go through my closet and clean out the old shirts, you know, the ones that have holes that I don't wear anymore and give them away. That's pretty good. I like that. And we want to serve Jesus in that capacity. We want to be able to find our own terms for service. But there's a problem in that verse. Jesus, and those things aren't wrong. Don't give me, don't hear me say that. They're 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 not wrong, but they're not really what Jesus is saying. He basically says, the man who loves his life will lose it, right? And whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. So if we're going to serve Jesus, if we're listening to his words, then we must follow him, not do things for him. See, a lot of us define the idea of serving Jesus, I'm going to do some stuff for Jesus, making myself just feel a little better. But if we're going to serve Jesus, he actually says, you must follow me, and where I am, my servant will be. Which, of course, then begs the question, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? And this is where things get pretty sticky. Because where Jesus is emotionally and physically and spiritually is really what's costly. You know, Jesus emotionally is ingrained with people. He connected with people. He spent time with them. Whether they were the Pharisees and he was arguing or teaching or whether they were the disciples walking around the Judean countryside or whether it was the the guy that was blind on the side of the road or whether it was eating with tax collectors and sinners, like he was emotionally connected with people. Mary and Martha come when Lazarus dies and Jesus weeps with them. Jesus emotionally was relationally involved with humanity. Jesus physically was also with people, right? Right? I mean, think about the places that he went. All of religious culture wouldn't walk through Samaria because they were a mixed race and they were unclean. What does Jesus do? He goes right to the heart of the country, stops and visits with a woman who no one would talk to or acknowledge was even a real person. Speaks directly into her life. Jesus sits down and he touches those that no one would touch. He takes the deaf guy off to the side of the road and he takes his fingers and he sticks them in the guy's ears. Religious culture would never touch a broken person like that. It would make them unclean. Jesus physically went to places that most of religious culture would never set foot in. And then, of course, spiritually, right? Jesus' entire life was about obedience to the Father. Listen to what he says there in verse 27. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So Jesus' entire life was about obedience, He knows what's coming in a couple of days. He knows the anguish of being betrayed and being abandoned and the brutality of the cross and the humiliation that the God of the universe would suffer at the hands of his created humanity. And he says, what do you want me to do? To look at the Father and say, save me from this? No. It's for this very reason that I came. So be glorified, knowing full well what was coming. Jesus' entire Life was about obedience. So when we say if we're going to serve Jesus, we must be willing to follow Jesus. And where is Jesus? Well, emotionally and physically and spiritually, he's in those places. Which is why most of of us like to bag up our clothes in our closet and give them to goodwill and call that serving Jesus because that is something wholly different. Willing to engage with difficult people in our lives, to forgive those that have really really hurt us to sit with the marginalized and the outcast the broken to invite the neighbors into our world and life to invest in them emotionally and not just serve them but to give them your heart and then to look at the father and say Lord whatever you want what do I want to have this convenient comfortable life I want what you want, so Lord, be glorified. That's what Jesus says. I'm not going to beg God not to do this. No, I came for this, so God, be glorified. What if that was the cry of our heart to serve Jesus, Lord? What am I asking for? Something to make me feel better, make things a little easier? Till the next thing comes. No, I want what you want, so Lord, be glorified in me. Do you see the progression and how that unfolds? That Jesus must die. His death brings life. And then when we find new life in Christ, because we surrender to him as our Lord and Savior, we are called then and we get the privilege then of dying to ourself. It is a joy that we have as a followers of Christ to say, God, not what I want, but you want. We die to ourself. And that death itself produces in us the desire to serve Jesus. And serving Jesus means we follow him to the places that he went, to the, the relational places, the physical places, the spiritual places that say, God, not what I want, but what you want, right? And then what happens? Well, the result is pretty amazing, right? Look at the result. This is what, and we'll wrap everything up with this. The result at the end of verse 26 is I, right, where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. So what's the result of doing all this? That God will give you all of your wildest dreams, right? That he's gonna fix your marriage and all of your financial woes and that all the people in your life that are complicated, your boss that's off, all those things are gonna go away? It's not the promise. The promise is that God will honor you. He will honor you, right? In other words, God will be pleased. A lot of times we do stuff expecting the blessing from God. If I do this for him, he will do this for me because that's how all of our earthly relationships are. If I do this, I get this. We do it in our marriages all the time, right? If I do this now, then he's going to do that later. Whatever that is, right? It could be anything. We do this. It's a transactional style of relational living. That if I do this work hard at work, and I do this and I do this to do this, I'm going to get a raise later something. It's transactional. All of our relationships typically are. So what's the promise of God that if we love and serve and die to ourselves and follow Jesus, that he will be pleased with us and that he will be glorified? What if every desire of your heart as a follower of Christ would be that God is glorified? Not expectation of return or blessing or $100 bills but that God would be glorified. See, that's the true gospel. That Jesus died and his death brings life. And that if we surrender our lives and hearts to him, we are then called to have the privilege of dying to ourself. No longer what I want and all of my worldly, selfish, driven desires, but God, what you desire for me, because what you desire is always better, always better. And that desire causes me to want to serve you because I'm no longer interested in serving myself. But I want to serve you. And I want to go the places where you go and are. Into the lives of people. Into the broken places. Into the hard places. Into the difficult places. And I want to be obedient. I want to live a life that honors you. Not for my own comfort. Not to save me from this hour. right, Not for my own pleasure. But that you would be glorified. And then my ultimate desire is that, God, you would get everything. And Jesus says, and God will honor you. All that simply means is that God, right, will just be pleased. And we don't have to earn it or do it. It's a byproduct of death and serving. It's not the goal. It's a byproduct. Easter is about life. It's not a one time we gather a year to give a nod to our religious roots. The truth is we gather every single Sunday over these exact same truths. The joy that it is to know that we have a God that loved us enough to die for us that we would have eternal life that begins today in him. The question is, are we going to live that life as we walk out of here? That Jesus loved you, died for you, gave his life for you, calls you to lay down your own desires, death to self, and be in the places where he is because you want to serve him, and God is glorified. What if that was the heartbeat of this church? Right? God gets the glory. The people wouldn't walk out and go, man, it's a great place. No, they, I mean, God is good. That's all we want. As we close our time in worship this morning, I encourage you to just say, Lord, Whichever part of this I'm wrestling with, the death to self, the serving, the just believing that you died, like whatever part of that progression I'm struggling with, Lord, meet me there. And I believe that the God of the universe will meet you in the middle of that. This is Easter. This is the single greatest moment and person in all of human history. And it changes everything. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather in this place. On this Sunday morning with people that are connected by relationship, but really connected by Christ. I believe that your death brings life, Jesus. I believe that you died so that we might have life in you. And that life in you causes us and presses us to die to ourselves. And that death to self produces in us a desire to serve you, and a desire to be where you are. And God, we want you to be glorified. So Lord, as we close our time in worship, we celebrate the incredible truth that your death brought about life through the resurrection, that you are alive. That you are not a kernel of wheat that fell to the ground and just died, but that through your death, you produced life through the resurrection. And Lord, we celebrate that this morning, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, that he is alive and that his death brings true life in my heart and in our hearts that we have reason to celebrate and to proclaim and to dance and to be excited because we have life in Christ. Push us to be a people then that takes that life and follows you, serves you, lays down our own desires to find true life in Jesus. Let's close our time together in worship, standing and giving God honor and praise for who he is this morning.